back everybody to your creativity i'm i'm dylan i'm here with terry how are you terry hi dylan i'm great it's so nice to see you so nice to see, yeah, see you too it's yeah. my birthday week so i feel like this oh, is a, a birthday present just just man, seeing you happy returns my friend thank I'm you so happy are you having a nice week so far so good it's great. sunday i I'm, i just barely left the house so kicking not, off it's yeah. kick off it's the big maz birthday week kick off I can't podcast. believe I'm. I can't believe I'm 46. <laughs> it's I it's I, weird. God, I, I'm, I can't believe you're 46. Jeez. I, f- I finally grew up. I though. remember 46. I, I don't know if I've announced it on here, but I got a full time job. Oh, you did! Congrats. What do you get? What do you? Uh, with Dry Bar Comedy um, down in uh, Provo. Oh, sure. I'm so glad to hear that. That is perfectly in line with who you are, what you care about, your experience uh, as we sit here in the beautiful space of the wise guys comedy club in downtown salt lake city you know what you're doing and dry bar is as it is put in the vernacular blowing up oh yeah it's, and we've blowing got, up they're so good and we've got some big stuff coming that's up. really great congratulations but uh, enough about me <laughs> i i'll take my few seconds of birthday Happy glory birthday to you mm-hmm. and many more. I'm offic- officially blushing now. <laughs> <laughs> we all know how the rest of the song goes. It's the, it's the love that counts. But our guest today yes. ties into what I do. Um, she's with TEDx Salt Lake City. And the D in TED stands for design. Do you know what the other two letters stand for, Terry? Uh, technology. And I don't remember what E is. I should entertainment entertainment i was gonna say entertainment and then i thought that's so self-serving terry like you just think everything is entertainment yeah it's it's actually all about you this time (laughs) (laughs) well a lot of people think it's education and it's not and that's kind of what i was leaning toward and i will say that um between uh my excitement at having you here and getting to chat with you and uh it being dylan's birthday I'm I'm feeling a strong sense of it's not all about me. That's <laughs> just the way I'm feeling, and I feel good about that. So here we are. Well, we're happy to have you along for the ride. Yes, it's so great to see you all and and to be social. I've had a couple of, I've had about ten days of uh, incredible breakthrough sociability. A week ago, Sunday today. I attended a, a backyard party slash rock show, rock and roll, three, four bands. And, uh, you know, when I arrived at Bruce Kirby's beautiful home, 
and I love the the setup that I've kind of constructed about Bruce's home where he does a lot of shows is uh oh wow they have a pool yeah yeah they've got a pool oh where's the pool it's right by the stage uh, I think I'm in, I'm, I'm in on, on a show where there's a pool right by the stage. So cheers to Bruce Kirby and, and, and uh, probably a hundred people at this backyard party. And to use the, the word ebullience, everyone was so beautifully radiating and jazzed and happy and excited to be together and to be outdoors and so we let a mask off and had a hug and had a jumping jiving beautiful music time and i'm just i'm still riding a high from that experience a week ago so uh, the normalcy of being here and just right just coming together in person to talk and and not being you know sort of frozen in in uh, pandemic posture is just so great oh man being here in person with you guys instead of doing this over zoom sorry zoom I, no I'm offense but. so <laughs> i'm so tired of virtual calls how's that no brand names dropped right but there you go thank you yeah to they've had their glory they've had their yeah, glory right. they've had that's their right. pasture but but to see you in person to, and to shake your hand yes immediately, it was it, it was a beautiful thing beautiful and to be here in this space, as you mentioned, in Wise Guys and seeing the posters all around of the amazing people who right. have performed before and they are watching over us right now. Indeed. Well, so very well said. I feel that energy. But they're literally in over They us. are over our heads <laughs> looking. It's funny, even the, the people photographed at the highest level of this column in front of us are looking me right in the eye. How did they do that? It's creepy. It's and some of creepy. them have been past guests. <laughs> um, there's Mark Christopher uh, Lawrence. Yes. There's Rodney Norman. Rodney. There is, uh, well, Kevin Smith, not yet. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But yeah, there's sure. scattered guests throughout there, too. It's great stuff. But yeah, this is a good place, technology, because the microphones and lights and everything. Edu uh, entertainment, because it's, it's live comedy. And no then one entertains like a stand-up comic. And then design, I, the design here, but we're so great. But we 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 buried the lead. We buried the introduction. We are here with <laughs> Melanie Jones. She is a, a speak speaker coach and curate performance curator. Yes, for TEDx Salt Lake City. So I've been doing that a few years now, and we kind of rotate roles. So the first year oh. I was a speaker coach. The second and third years I was a performer coach and curator and this year i'm leading up the curation team so it's all volunteer and we all just kind of trade hats and you've got two events this year one later this week and then one in september correct tell us about those a little bit sure so this year we're doing what ted calls salon events it's different than a regular event our regular event has been at kingsbury hall the entire time i've been involved packed house, you know, over a thousand people in attendance, wow. live talks and performances, and it's really an amazing experience. But we had some issues last year with the pandemic. We went ahead and kept our original date, but the U of U had a COVID outbreak the week before our event. And so we were initially restricted to just a certain number of tickets, like 300 in the whole house. 
and then they actually cut us down to zero. Wow. So all of the talks you see that were recorded in 2020 were recorded in front of zero audience besides the committee. So you'll hear little smatterings of applause from 12 of us <laughs> <laughs> just trying to make the speakers feel like they're talking to someone. And obviously with TED Talks, the beauty is the recording, the video, and, and the yes. global reach of it. But to not have that audience present to feed off of from an energy perspective was challenging for them and they handled it beautifully. So this year, because last year we couldn't sell any tickets, this year we're having a rebuilding year and these two salon events are VIP events. Mm. So they're invitation only, um, free for those who have been invited and restricted to about 100 guests instead of our typical 12 to 1500. Um, we will be showing kind of a best of the videos that have been recorded in prior years um, oh. at TEDx events. And then those speakers will be present for live Q&A. At a regular TEDx event, you don't get to have live Q&A. It's just they give their talk and then maybe you see them out in the plaza or whatever. Right. But this time they'll be up on the stage for Q&A. We'll have a DNI panel at the end with some of our DNI experts who have spoken before. And every single person on the program from the MC to the live musician to the people on the panel, they have all given talks on our stage in the past. So it's a way for us to draw them back out, um, get their talks some more exposure and um, engage the, the community in our event. And next year we'll be back to normal. And I would imagine that that unexpected but fortuitous process of looking rearward to the great moments for TEDx Salt Lake City that must have been is being a really beautiful time and a great reminder mm -hmm. of all of the work that you've done for the community for the listener and for the speakers absolutely it's been beautiful and to see some of these people as you were mentioning before um i think before we hit record even today that there's a journey that these people embark yes. on when they start their preparation for tedx salt lake city man, oh man. it is lots of rehearsals, lots of script reviews, lots of memorization. And the main thing that I see is confidence being built in these people over the summer. And I always call it an accelerated parenting process. You know, if, you, <laughs> if you've got a little kid, you look at them when they're three and you're like, who are you gonna be when you grow up? I wonder who you're gonna be in Who are you gonna years. be when you hit the TED stage? <laughs> and this way, yeah. So you go through these applications, you get people at the initial meet and greet and some of them have imposter syndrome. Uh, some of them, they aren't really yeah. solid on their ideas. But by the time they've gone through just a three-month process, they're strutting onto the stage, planting themselves on the dot, getting job offers as soon as they walk off, exposure um, to, to different scenarios that they would not have experienced before. So um, looking back on that, seeing people now, remembering who they were three years ago when right. they first came to meet and mingle and they were shy and had imposter syndrome and now they're like owning the world yeah it's yeah. pretty amazing it's it's a beautiful thought that the combination of uh, humanity through those uh of you working for ted and the group dynamic 
that those two things together can produce such a powerful change in people when, right, uh, I only on a few occasions have I ever been in, uh, in front of such a large number of people and it gets your attention. And if you're going to have seven or 15 or 22 or however many minutes, um, 90 seconds in front of a thousand people, that looming reality will drive you to your preparation, rehearsal, Absolutely. script, revision. What mm -hmm. am I really trying to say here? Why, why? And of course, the last one, the last thought that I always ever had in high school, immediately before going on stage in a, in a scripted play or musical is, why did I do this? <laughs> I want to leave the building. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you force yourself out onto that stage and do the thing that you've prepared yourself for. And there's no, there's, there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so excited to see your uh, compilation of the journeys of the people that you've worked with over the years and how, like you say, how they've grown in stature and self-regard and, and communications ability and personal power. Yeah. Such an incredible thing that, that you all do. I'm a huge fan of, of TED and TEDx for sure. Thank you so much. If you would, tell us about how you became involved and 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 talk about the, the passion that you felt that drove you to, to seek um, participation and if, I don't want to presume, if that has changed over the years as you have uh, become more experienced, and it sounds like you've performed such a number of functions for the organization that you have uh, quite a perspective. Talk a little bit about what drove you to, uh, to join with TEDx. Sure. This is going to be personal actually Lovely. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to hit on this but you did so my family and I had moved back to Utah after being in Texas for six years and I was going back to work in a just a part-time capacity have young children at home but something was off in my life I found myself constantly depressed constantly with imposter syndrome I didn't really feel connected to anything and at that point I'd been working at the same company for over 20 years wow. so it was it was just strange that I was going through this and I could not explain what was happening to me and one day I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see an ad that says TEDx Salt Lake City is accepting applications for the organizing committee I'm like what the heck I'll apply and I actually had this big conversation with my husband about it. And he's like, I don't know, how much time is it going to require? You're already working part time. We've got these four kids. Like, what do you really need more on your plate? And I just felt this, I felt drawn to it. Yeah. So I applied and it's very much like a job application, sure. <laughs> even though it's volunteer. So you submit your written application, they call you in for an interview, and then they decide to take you or not, and they assign you to a, a role. And I went through that process, and they assigned me the role of speaker coach. 
And that was probably based on my history prior to having children. I used to travel over the world and give speeches and um, lectures in front of groups of dentists, actually. That was, that was my job in the dental world. It's a tough crowd. Tough, tough <laughs> crowd. Dentists. Tough crowd. Yeah. As, yeah. as a nobody of mine would say at this juncture, they're a tough nut to crack, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't use your teeth to do that's it. That's right. That's right. You'll you'll be in violation of that's, their code. That's right. No kidding. So so yeah. you had had prior uh, performing and sort of hitting your mark mm-hmm. and and being the the focus of people's attention. Yeah, I had, and I was never really super comfortable with it but I was always pretty decent at it, at least in the crowd that I was traveling with. Um, I was one that was often asked to speak, and I prefer to be backstage, honestly, but I uh, was given the opportunity several times, more than several times, to, to be on the stage and found a way to make it through. Yeah. Even as an introvert, I found a way to make it through. Sure, sure. And so this um, opportunity to be backstage and helping other people it was super fulfillment super fulfilling definitely and the imposter syndrome that i had had probably my entire career where i'd come off the stage and everybody would be happy and meeting me backstage and telling me what an amazing job i did and i would always find ways to explain around it like well they don't really know that you know so and so taught me that i didn't really come up with that on my own and i would talk myself down from any of the applause or the praise and then there was this speaker in my very first year at TEDx Salt Lake City her name is Nicole Emma be sure to look up her talk it's amazing Um, the first meet and mingle she walked in the room and she was like what am I doing here I'm surrounded by journalists and physicists and university professors and she she was a sex worker and she had never spoken in public in her entire wow. life. She's like, why did you choose me? She tried to back out a couple of times. <laughs> and she, she will tell you the same thing that I'm telling you. So no um, disparagement of Miss Nicole. She's amazing. She had a really hard time all summer. Rehearsals, she could not remember her talk. She went through a million drafts. She really struggled and honestly suffered through this. And sure. she was talking about work that was very sensitive and that even her family, some of them did not know she was engaged in. Wow, that's a huge Huge. gulf. So her final rehearsal before dress rehearsal, she came off the stage and she was crying. She's like, Melanie, I will never remember my lines. I do not know how I'm gonna do this this Saturday. I I don't know how. And I took her by the shoulders and I looked her in the eye and I said, I'm going to teach you a technique right now and you're gonna do it, and you're gonna be fine. So I teach her this memorization technique. She worked on it the next couple of days. Dress rehearsal was still, um, she still had too many jitters, was still not great. Hmm. But I tell you, on the day she walked out on that dot and she freaking nailed that thing, could not have been better than she was. And in fact, her talk is one of the most popular talks that has ever (laughs) been on our stage. I love it. I can't even, I know it's over a million. It might even be over 2 million views by now. And when she walked off the stage toward me backstage, I felt that familiar thing in me where I was about to try to explain away 
my involvement in this. Like, I'm not that good of a coach. I'm not that, you know, the negative self-talk <laughs> sure, sure. started. And then when she got to me and she wrapped her arms around me and we were hugging and crying and it occurred to me that if I diminished my participation in this, it would be taking something away yes, from her. Absolutely. And I couldn't deny what she just did. That's a breakthrough for you. Yes, it was. So she had a breakthrough. I had a breakthrough and we could be there for each other. And we both knew what happened. Right. And so we'll be forever bonded. Yeah. Because of that experience So beautiful. Together. So beautiful. And you can draw warm feelings. I, I'm feeling warm feelings just hearing you tell the story. And that journey for Nicole to conquer her fear. Mm -hmm. And not just to conquer her fear by doing something that was invisible, but exactly the opposite something that was closely attended to both in the preparation and in in the doing and yep. being in that room what has what has nicole gone on to do as as a speaker i would imagine that i have seen her on the news um i know that she testified in a court case as well um, like as an expert witness <laughs> and that's great amazing that's great. That's right really um, she got out of an abusive relationship mm. and she started Huge. an Instagram to, to help people. So she has, I think she has found a different position in life than she thought she would occupy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm reflecting as we're speaking about her that, um, surely the things that she thought and felt about herself generally as a sex worker and what that implies to one's station in life or status in society has been turned on its ear and upended to people appreciating and realizing the depth of, of the humanity of this person mm -hmm. who had the courage to go out on that stage and to stand in front of people and to and to have that nervousness that you can't believe how gigantic it is and yet you walk straight into the teeth of that fear and for her to be elevated in that way to be an expert witness it's just yeah that is transformational well and for her coming into our group and being paired with me as her speaking coach when i am the most conservative <laughs> on the in the group um religious sure <laughs> and and for her to realize that somebody like me can hear her story yes. learn something from it love her and appreciate her i think that it opened up possibilities for her for other relationships that she thought maybe would not be available right, to her right 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 and and the the stat sheet as it were that you just cited of uh, your conservatism and those things create expectations that when those are moved aside for the connection between two human beings mm -hmm. who come from different walks of life, who have seemingly different uh, attitudes toward issues that we discuss and, and reflect and uh, wrestle with in our society, for the two of you to come together is so magical and certainly a, a 
a transformational experience, not only for the two of you as individuals, but for everyone who is witnessing this person, this human being, uh, and I'll use this phrase and I don't, I don't mean it in a judgmental way, but step out of the shadows yes. and into the light, into the spotlight, to the mark at the center of the stage where a room full of people is silently listening. A room full of Utahns. Yes. Silently yes. listening yes. to that. <laughs> Standing ovation at oh, the end. Wow, you know, it was wow, amazing wow. for her. And she taught me so much. One of the things that I love about Ted in general, I got from her as well, but even before becoming involved, I think the first Ted talk I ever watched was Monica Lewinsky, The Price of Shame. Wow. And if you a legendary. That, oh man. This, truly legendary that talk <laughs> we all had i think opinions and some preconceived notions about that whole situation and then watching her video and feeling my mind shift and flip about the entire situation that was a high having my <laughs> mind changed is a high yeah. and so to well be said. in that coaching situation with nicole and have her change my mind and then myriad speakers since then yeah through tedx salt lake city flipping my mind every time it has uh, shifted me on the spectrum for sure the way that i approach things the way that i think of things i, I think my thinking is more independent now yeah, than it used to be and the people in my circle are more diverse than they ever were before and i am so grateful for that well, and, and it occurs to me as you say that, that uh, there is surely um, a rich vein of that diversity, but also a common thread, which is excellence. Yes. And, and to shine a light and to continue the, the analogy uh, of Nicole Emma's presence in this uh, rarefied air of speakers and thinkers and intellectuals mm -hmm. and all of these self-serious sorts of, <laughs> of category titles to to then uh, have someone who would might to some people's definition be outside of those definitions take the day right champion right. the day is that's really special it's really cool really cool Talk about, if you would, uh, your experience in, uh, I, I'm kind of thinking at, of like the, like a semi-permeable membrane upon which side you find yourself either, either a speaker as you are experienced in doing, uh, or, or, and as a coach and, uh, I'm guessing that maybe you probably had some coaching experience in in your uh, uh, dental communications uh, portion of your of your life journey, but I'm also guessing that you have learned things about helping others, coaching others, advising others, and especially in the in the critical thinking and critical analysis part of you know, where it can get dicey when you're saying to someone, you know, this thing that maybe you're kind of married to is not working, whether it's a turn of phrase or the way that you want to structure your talk and having to, to be that person who says, look, I'm, 
I'm going to I'm going to say some hard things to you because I want you to have uh, a talk that a million people will watch on YouTube and other platforms. Talk about what that what that experience is like for you, uh, uh, both in in your first experiences with doing that when you started, and now that you are a seasoned uh, TEDx advisor and participant. Sure. Um, great insightful question because certainly that that is a topic that permeates every year of TEDx Salt Lake City. So the first year I was learning to be a coach. I didn't know what was expected of us. I didn't know how deeply we were able to dig in and coach. Are we mere editors with very little input you know we want the idea to be this person's idea and so for us to editorialize or or something it it takes away some of the authenticity so the first year was pretty hands-off and i would just tell people when you say this i'm not really sure what you mean by it do you think you could rephrase it um i remember with colin williams i i sent you his talk um Dylan. So yeah, Colin comedian. Williams, he's a, did you see it? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. And? Yeah, it, w- it was a little longer than I was expecting when I first uh, saw it, but um, it was good. It's, you know, because comedians, you know, generally aren't happy people. <laughs> they're they're damaged. Only the only the second time this week that I've been a participant in this particular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sad! It's only Sunday. Sad, mad comedians. But that Hello. being said, um, it's always great when there are comedians that talk about it and present it in an entertaining way, um, so people can learn from it. So I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Yeah. So Colin Williams, for those of you who haven't seen his talk, and you should all correct that. I will. Uh, I will be correcting that. We'll be in the show notes. Forthwith. <laughs> Nicole's and Colin's. And Colin's. Right. So, and both from my first year. They were from the same season, actually, both of them. Colin Williams, the topic of his talk at TEDx Salt Lake City was, is joking about suicide too taboo for the stage? Yeah. And something like that. Or could joking about suicide save a life is, I think, what we eventually titled it. And I remember looking at his first draft, and I'm going through it, and I can see the logic behind what he's saying, but also, I have no idea what a suicide joke even sounds like. (laughs) Like, how do you you joke about suicide? And his, his, um, I think that's going to fall. That's why I'm pointing madly. his whole point was that joking is sometimes a person's test case for can I talk about yeah. this and the person sitting across from me will accept me and engage. And so you say it offhanded first, right, right. but really you have pain that you need to talk about and you're testing people out to see who is a safe person. Yes. And he is a suicide survivor. And he started joking about suicide and then people would tell him, you know, that it's not appropriate to joke about that. And he talks about all the things that comedians joke about, all the taboo topics. Right, right. And but draw the line right before suicide. Right. Nope, we can don't do joke it, about Bob. everything else. <laughs> and he talks about some things like uh, Bill Cosby being such a notorious 
predator and everybody knew it but it wasn't until a stand-up comedian mentioned it from the stage that's right that people started taking it seriously and so he feels like joking about suicide brings this out of the darkness into the light and that we should be accepting of however people want to express their pain but i'm reading through this draft and i still can't wrap my head around but how could you even make suicide funny? Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't get it. And I kept putting notes. I need a suicide joke right here. And I put it in this paragraph, like right here. I need a suicide. That's great. That's really cool. And he was like, I don't want to give away my show because his show is my suicide note. And so the joke would come from this show and he doesn't want to give it away to people who haven't come. Right. I was like, dude, one joke. You got it. Give me one joke because how many people are going to see your show versus the potential of how many people right. could see your TEDx Salt Lake City talk? Right, right. Yeah, throw a couple jokes in. Your yeah. profile changes, and then just so you know, I'm asking you for one or two, and you're going to do this TED talk, and then you're going to be writing suicide jokes for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah. because everybody is going to want you to do that. Yeah. That material. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a really hard time wrapping my head around it, and so. I finally get a draft back from him that has a suicide joke in it. And I go, oh, yeah, that's funny. And I feel super guilty for laughing. Right. And yet you're still laughing. Still laughing. (laughs) I get it. So the first year was kind of like that, where it was just little pointers. Like, I don't think the audience will know what you mean here. And sometimes the speakers would push back on me a little bit. Like, well, you just don't get it. And... I was young in my TEDx Salt Lake City career and I just kind of took it and still suffering from all that imposter syndrome because I hadn't had my major moment with Nicole yet, right? Right. And so I just kind of, okay, well, whatever you think, you know, I I don't want to disrupt your flow. Do, Do what you want. But after that first year, I realized every time I knew a joke would fall flat, it did. Every time I knew people would stand and clap, they did. When I knew people would cry, they did. Trust yourself. And I needed to trust my instincts. So the following year, I got much better, I think. And I didn't take people's words still, but I became more conscientious about my feedback and mm-hmm. had to start because something I'd experienced the year before is these speakers coming in and not necessarily trusting, especially experienced speakers. Like, well, who are you? Right. I, I've given speeches on hundreds of stages all over the world what are you going to teach me that i don't know well you never gave a ted talk before right and it's different a scripted talk that has to be condensed to 18 minutes on the high end and now we're teaching people to condense to 10 because 10 minute videos get more frequency of watch absolutely um that is different and there was a quote I'm going to misattribute it. I think it was Winston Churchill. Could have been some whole other dude. But <laughs> somebody who said, if you want me to speak for 15 minutes, I'll need two weeks to, re- to prepare. Right. If you need me to speak for an hour, I'll only need a week. And if you need me to speak for two hours, I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. If you can ramble... And you're comfortable on a stage. Why, why are you hours. looking at me when you say that? Because I'm not looking at you, Terry. <laughs> because you're asking me the question. 
But yeah, 10 I resemble minutes? that remark. <laughs> you resemble it well. Oh man. Well, that's a I've never heard that quote and it's it makes so much sense. If you have to convince somebody of something in only 10 minutes, and they need to walk out of the room understanding your point fully. Yeah, you better. Every word matters. You better work it. Yeah. And so that is something that all of our speakers have had to learn, no matter how renowned they were before they got to us. Yes. Most of them have never given a 10-minute talk touching on the most important, most passionate feeling or thought that they've ever had. Right, right. 10 minutes, and that's all you get to say. I mean, I've been rambling about TEDx for way longer than 10 minutes. Right, right, right. How could I condense that, you know? <laughs> and yet, that's, that, that is and, the whole point. And that's what we do, yeah. Well, we're going to do a 10-minute version after we're done with the podcast. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah, so getting them to trust us is one thing um, that I'm trying to get done earlier in the process because it's right. only about three and a half months. And the faster they'll let their guard down, the more quickly they'll make progress in their talk. Right. If, if they trust me from day one, they are more prepared than if it takes them 60 days before they start trusting me. And yeah. so I always tell them the first time we meet, my goal is to get you a million views on YouTube or more. That's my goal. I'm here to get you whatever you That's want crazy. i want your idea known by as many people as possible so every piece of feedback i give you is to make sure the audience can hear what you're saying and yeah. not be distracted by any sideways off the rails comments throughout your script yeah and that can that can mean so many different things mm -hmm. that back to your your metaphor of if you got 2 hours and you're just kind of winging it um you're going to you're going to veer off mm -hmm. into the wilderness more times and so to me uh, i'm thinking actively in my mind at the moment of how being restricted creates freedom yes yes is that your um, topic? You just got like a light bulb. I saw it animated above your head. So Coming to TED <laughs> 2022. Terry I'm going yeah. to have to listen back to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the thing you just said reminds me so much of Dr. Chelsea Shields, and she was a 2020 speaker. Great talk again. Um, some of these are going to be part of our salon event. but. Dr. Shields, she talks about social health and how the people that we allow to surround us impact our health as much as the things we put inside our body. So what's around yes. your body affects it as much as what goes Absolutely. into your body. And how we have a BMI, so you know. Right, we, right. <laughs> and we, we look at sure. weight and height, but how often are we quantifying what's happening around our body? Interesting. And it is fantastic talk and she's obviously a genius she's a double phd um, biosocial anthropologist wow. and worked in africa for a number of years studying the placebo effect and how witch doctors the things that they do affect the patients in the tribes like sure. uh, 
just a fascinating human being, but none of that is included in her talk. Also not included in her talk is a hot button for her, social media, which she thinks is deleterious to our social health. And that was originally in her script where she goes kind of off track and talks about social media on a soapbox for a minute. Oh, wow. And it was valid and it was important and it was the topic of a second TED Talk. Yes, yes, that's an entire It's a different category. talk. So we struck that whole section sure. from her talk because it was distracting right. from the main thrust of what she was trying to say. And fantastic talk again. <laughs> and just in September that happened. Well, uh, you know, I, I heard her say that she had an amazing coach. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I love Chelsea Shields. She's amazing. That's cool. Has there been a change that you have seen in the speakers that is, and I, I'm trying to think of the right reference toward this, but like the the very existence of TED itself has created a change in the speakers who present themselves to you for inclusion over time. Were people more green than they are now, or does do people come to the process still with a lot of stuff packed in of you know we've we've mentioned imposter syndrome a number mm -hmm. of times but all, let's just say the the uh, anthology of neuroses around <laughs> uh performing and speaking publicly i've known from my childhood that mm -hmm. i was different because i was all was and am always ready to stand in front to risk uh, spilling my my disorganized brain all over the place in front of a bunch of people, and and yet I, I I've done it I've done it my whole life, and it, I know that I'm different in that way, not necessarily better. I know a lot of people who would you know punch their way out of the room before getting up on stage, yeah. and yet have so much to share. And it's hard to get, it's pro I'm guessing that it's hard to get people to do TED Talks who won't apply to do a TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, okay, I have so many thoughts around that. <laughs> that question you asked was a compound question. Yeah, I do that a lot, <laughs> I apologize. No, it's great. So I, I just have fireworks going off in my brain. Let's see if I can remember the second point after I'm done telling I'll try you about to. the first point. So. <laughs> First point, our application process at TEDx Salt Lake City is completely open to anybody in Utah. They can all apply, whether they're famous, whether they're the CEO of some Utah corporation right. or whether they're Joe Bob next door. Yeah, everybody can apply. And it's a written application first. And then what we do. Because we're sadistic, I guess. <laughs> Um, <laughs> is we, we go through and strip off all the names and all of the identifying information. So a member of our committee, one person goes through and strips off identifying information. So when the rest of the committee sees it, we don't know who it is. So we have had CEOs of major Utah institutions apply 
and get dinged and get rejected because you are selected solely on the basis of your idea yeah that is it and so if the idea doesn't grab us you're not going to get a vote for your application so a ceo might say um 10 principles of great leadership and i read that in the application and i'm like i think i've heard that talk before at any number of conferences. Yes, and, yes. And maybe... Ted doesn't even need to exist for that topic to be hammered. Right? <laughs> um, then I read another application, and it says, creativity is an act of rebellion. And I'm like, ooh, creativity is an act of rebellion? I've never thought of creativity that way before. Tell me more. I wonder where that idea came from. Right? Yeah. So that was Robin Coney. She also spoke last year in 2020. That title is clickbait. Right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, she was amazing. And she talks about children and she talks about all of the books that we read as kids and how we celebrate the rebel. We celebrate Harry Potter broke every rule right. at Hogwarts. Right. But he's the hero. But in schools, we do not celebrate creative problem solving. We no. celebrate people who sit in their desks and show up on time and right. do their homework on time and follow the formula. Um, so that's what her mm. talk was about. And creativity is an act of rebellion drew me in. Um, Jean Lurie, <laughs> she, was, she was awesome too. She's a hospice worker, mm. but she, a hospice chaplain, and she called herself a midwife for souls. And her talk was about how preparing for your death helps you have a better life. And I hadn't heard that idea before either. So all of these people, they put in their written applications, but it means that you are just as likely to get an experienced speaker selected as someone who has never spoken before in their lives. So you have everywhere on the spectrum of expert, totally green, and you get a variety of people that way, um, which is pretty amazing. So that's the one answer to the compound question and the (laughs) the second thing that you made me think of was how being involved you guys are going to hate that i say this because you're creative guys (laughs) um and like can't box you in and you know but the more years i do tedx salt lake city the more i realize there are only a set number of personality types. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, sure, sure. I'm sure, like, we all know the color code or, you know, Myers-Briggs or the disc profile or whatever. This is something different. This is the personality of a speaker. So my first year, I had Nyland McBain, um, who gave a great talk about how Utah started out as a pioneer in feminist history. One of the first places, actually the first place that a female cast a vote in a federal election was here in Utah. In Utah. Utah. Wow. And yet wow. now we have mm-hmm. one of the biggest wage disparities in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And so her talk was kind of juxtaposing our fantastic roots in feminism compared to where we are now. Um, Nylan McBain was a perfectionist. She had probably 20 drafts of her talk and the first one was already perfect. And the 20th <laughs> version was just another version of perfect. Wow. But all 20 versions were perfect. She came to every rehearsal 
and then she came to rehearsals that weren't required. So we told everybody you need to come to one rehearsal per week leading up to the event. And I think we had three days available each week and she was at every single one with one of them. Amazing. Next year, Dr. Marielle Parisot, a dentist who talked about sugar and how cavities are an early warning sign of other problems throughout your body. Same thing. Her first draft was perfect. So good. Her 20th draft was also perfect. And she came to more rehearsals than were required of her. We had women like that, or men, sometimes they were men too, every year who was the perfectionist attending rehearsals. Now, I'm not going to use names on this next type. Mm. <laughs> There's always the person who's given plenty of talks before and thinks that they don't need our help. Yeah. And they come to fewer rehearsals than are required, put in less work on the drafts than are required, right. show up on the day, cocky until they get on the stage and are faced with 1,500 people. And, then and their talks, some of them turn out well. Some of them fall so much flatter than they could. But their ideas were always good from the beginning. That's why they were selected. Right, right, right. We, we get over 300 applications every year to speak on the stage. We wow. choose 12, you know. Jeez. So, like, the people who end up on the stage have great ideas. And they do their ideas a disservice by being so ill-prepared and yeah. so unwilling to listen to coaching. And we've got one every single year. <laughs> Isn't that something? And you can't predict no. Exactly who that's going to be. I'm sure there are some demographic uh, categorical statistics that might give you a little <coughs> CEOs. Um, <laughs> but uh, don't yeah, let it be that, you, Terry, next year. Yeah, don't. Well, <laughs> don't you know, I, I was just going to say, Melanie, that when you said when you gave those uh, statistics, I thought to myself, oh, good. I don't have to apply because 12 out of 300, like there's no way I'm going to get in there. So I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you just, in your application, be clickbaity. Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. Over 300 and we're all looking through them together. Man, it is a I mean, that's, painfully democratic process too. I'll tell you, even if I love your idea, it's no guarantee you're going to be selected. Sure. I am mouthy on the committee. I well, will try I mean, to win people you have the to my experience, position, so. But <laughs> like, Everyone's looking to you for your opinion, Not Melanie. necessarily, Please. but I give it anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, um, there's no guarantee that you'll be chosen, even oh, if there's yeah. one person who's totally on your side. Committee's got 30 people on 30 it. 30 people, yeah. That, that is democratic. Yeah. That's cool. It's got me curious. Who's been the youngest and, and the oldest that have been made it through the process yeah, and got on the stage? The youngest was last year, Kennedy Pulaski. Um, she was, I think she was 17 at the time that she gave wow. her talk. 16 or 17. I want to say 17. Um, and hers was on kind of the definition of beauty she had just I scouted her to apply actually I went to my niece's beauty pageant in Saratoga Springs and all of the contestants were up there doing their dance or their song or whatever and my niece was one of them and then this girl gets up and uses public speaking as her talent and I'm like 
This teenager a line is man. using public speaking as her talent. That's power. Yeah, so I went to her afterward, and she was one of the runner-ups. Even she she made it to the end, and I said, "I want you to apply." And her talk was about the way that we define beauty and the way that we look at our grandmother. We don't hold her to the same standard as when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, oh, my skin is broken out. My eyebrows aren't perfect. But to us, our grandmother is beautiful because of her kindness, because of her compassion, her history, her wisdom, whether or not she's rocking the latest hairstyle. And so that was this. 16, 17 year old Kennedy. She did a fantastic job. So cool. And then on the oldest, ooh, I'll get myself in trouble if I try to decide who the, right. who the oldest of everybody is. But <laughs> of the more seasoned people that we've had. Yeah, seasoned, yeah, that's a good if one. <laughs> I, if I think about people who um, have had a lot of life experience before giving the talk, we had Gerald Elias. Who oh, I know it. You know him. I do. I do. So I've he was interviewed conductor, him a number of times. Yeah. Utah Symphony, Boston Symphony, and he did a spoken word piece because he's also an author. So he did this spoken word essay about how music will create peace in the world, wow. and how music has created peace in the world. And then he played his violin for a second in it. Yeah, so yeah. he had Gerald Elias. Um, that was awesome. It was called War and Peace in Music. And then we had Dr. Marielle Parso, who I mentioned before. She's a dentist. Um, who else is on the, I'm trying to think, Jean, Jean Lurie, the hospice chaplain, very experienced in her field. So we ha- we've had a few. We had a range. Um, Connor Bear from 2019. I think he was probably 19 years old. So he's on the younger end of the spectrum too. His is about insulin cost and a potential solution oh, really? for cheaper insulin in the future. I want to watch that. I have so good friends, but one friend I'm thinking of immediately who speaks regularly on that topic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a a crucial topic, a, a life a core topic for a lot of people. Definitely type one diabetics and the cost yeah. involved is just crazy. And Connor, he was a great example. I, I teach a public speaking workshop at the middle school near me on Wednesday mornings, and we dissect some of the talks that have been on our stage in the past. And Connor, I used as an example of how important it is to draw people in with your first couple of sentences. And I had all of his drafts, and I said, here was draft one, here was draft two, now let's watch the video. And the difference between, you know, this is polyspisorum, I can't even remember the name of this big Latin bacteria thing. He's going to kill me. It's not bacteria. It's a single-celled organism that (laughs) replicates um, copies of itself infinitely. Mm. And so he talks about this in the first paragraph of one of his drafts. And then in another one, he talks about something else I can't remember. And then the third version that made it live was this is one gram of gold it costs whatever the amount was this is one gram of insulin yeah and it costs way more than gold i can't remember how many times and how much more that drew you in to what he was about to say right 
than giving backstory. And a lot of speakers have that problem. They get up, I'm so-and-so, I've worked in this field for this many years, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you're, you're asleep before they get to the good part. Yeah. So one of Tell our, a story. Yeah. One of our workshop coaches always says, start in the middle. Like, look at your draft and find the most interesting spot and then cut everything that happened before <laughs> then and start in the middle of your script. Interesting. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure that, and, and this is definitely something that I've thought about in both in preparation for our conversation, but also uh, beforehand. How do you, and, and what a lovely uh, privilege it is to be speaking with you as a, as a, a leader and an administrator of the process, what do you do when you find yourself in a situation where, uh, where a speaker who has been selected and is in the draft writing, rewriting, and rehearsal process gets to a point where they're just bunched up, they're, where they're having a hard time and maybe have been obscured, and I'm completely thinking of uh, a way that I could find myself in this scenario, which is to be wildly enthusiastic at the prospect of participating in TED, being incredibly fortunate enough to be selected. And so this thing that you've dreamed and anticipated and then you get in there and it's really hard because being the best you can be, whether that be in the writing or in the delivery, right? And those are two very different skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the president rarely writes his own speeches. Right. I don't care who the president is. He's got people who are writers and they're the best writers there are and nobody cares at all whether or not they can deliver a speech because that's not their job. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you're when you find yourself in that situation with a student with an incipient speaker who has has gotten caught up in the challenge of, of rewriting or of their delivery style on stage or those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine that you're somewhat of a deeply experienced therapist. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely therapy comes into play and so much of it is intuition. I couldn't like write you a playbook of how to handle these situations, yeah. but you just hope that when you're in the moment, you know the right thing to say. So I can think of from 2019, Jessica Baines, who gave the most incredible talk. She was our final speaker of the day. Final speaker of the day is selected on purpose. You want to end on a high, you know? Yeah. So we pick one of the best to open and one of the best to close. And Jessica was our closer. She was who she was young at that point too. She was probably 20 years old. I might have her age wow. wrong, but she was at Still. the University of Utah. Um, and she had experienced something in her past where she had a traumatic brain injury oh. as a dance student. And so wow. finding the frustration um, in studying dance, that was supposed to be her major. And now she has a traumatic brain injury and her professors are telling her to leave dance your body will never do it again. Wow. You should just leave dance. And then she had this um, physical therapist who wanted her to do these exercises, but do it with purpose. And so he's like, what do you call it in ballet when you bend your mm. knees in this way? 
Oh, that's a plie. Right. Okay, I want your exercises to include 20 plies. And so he made her physical therapy rehab relevant to her field of study. And Beautiful. Yeah, while she so was doing gorgeous. this, her outcome improved drastically. So she went on to found this thing called Healing in Motion Dance. And so she teaches stroke patients. She teaches wow. all kinds of patients how to use dance as a form of physical therapy. And so you've got 80 year olds doing ballet for the first time in their lives. But anyway, oh, she's so great. Amazing. And her oh. talk is so compelling and she looks so gorgeous on stage mm. too. She's the most beautiful girl. And right before it was her turn to go on, the preceding speaker was halfway through their talk and I see her in the corner backstage and she is melting down, sobbing. And she's going to go on stage in like seven minutes. I'm like, uh -oh. how, how am I going to save this? Yeah. This is one of our best speakers yeah, of this the, is the day. This, this is the, the, yeah. So I take her out into the loading dock. We went outside where there was fresh air and it turned out that she was having an emotional episode because she had lost her father not that long ago within the past couple of years. And she had gotten in her head like, my dad's not going to be here to see me do this amazing oh, thing. Wow. And she was spinning on that, like missing her dad suddenly. And so um, taking her outside in the fresh air. And then I said, okay, I want you to close your eyes. Imagine your dad. Imagine if he were here, how would he be feeling? He would be so proud of you, I'm sure. And he is proud of Beaming. you. Yeah. We're going to leave dad out here. He's going to be here for you when you're done. And you can come back out here and give him a hug. But right now he's going to wait for you out here. That's so powerful. She went out on the stage and did it. She and nailed it. The only thing, like I did not know what to do. And the only thing that saved this situation is me absolutely BSing my way through that. Like <laughs> talking with confidence, like I know what to do. Like I'm a therapist and just looking <laughs> at her in the eye. You're going to do great because your dad is, I have no idea what I'm talking about, sure. you know, and she's, but you were the she, person there. Yeah. And she looked at me like speaking with conviction, like I should trust you. And she did. And I have no explanation <laughs> for why. How it happened but it in that worked. moment. Yeah. So that was incredibly amazing experience. And to get her onto the stage, achieving her dream of giving this talk and spreading her message of improved outcomes in physical therapy, which is yeah. something she's really passionate about. And the thought that it almost crumbled or that she almost had a shaky voice on stage. Yeah. And through a pure miracle and her trusting me out of, I don't, I don't know what, ignorance of my <laughs> actual qualifications for this. Well, <laughs> like, except, except the perfection of your qualifications uh, because you are a caring human being, but also you know what it's like to take the stage. You know what it's like to be in that, as I was saying before, those 30 seconds before you walk on stage and you're thinking to yourself, why did I ever apply for this? Right. <laughs> and, 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 and then that has to be gone. Yeah. But your experience and your, yeah, your ability to reach out to that person who, who knows you 
and who knows you as a guide that's that's amazing and there literally couldn't be another person in the world who could have saved her talk the way you did yeah I, congratulations th- thank you but it was a miracle i will say yeah it sure sure it was i i have had an entire lifetime of thinking of snappy comebacks hours or days after the moment oh, in yep. which the <laughs> comeback would have been germane my to life. anything right and i've had only a couple of experiences where uh, and and involving other people not not so much rescuing myself but rescuing either a situation or a person uh in and walking away from that and thinking wow that was pretty crazy either i got really lucky or i just was in the right headspace at a particular moment mm-hmm. for an interaction with someone where in, in none of those cases were snappy comebacks actually they were situations where i was fortunate to be able to calm mm-hmm. the situation and move forward but uh, your gorgeous voice doesn't hurt at all <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's very kind of you to say, and uh, I'm not sure that, um, I, uh, yeah, I think I just got lucky in a moment when, when you know, w- when your headspace was perfect for her need at that time yeah. to, to receive a simple message, I'm guessing a forceful message. Uh, you got it was a, a message of conviction for yes, sure. Yes, conviction. I like mm-hmm. that e- that way better. But it, it, it right because it's like okay, we don't have much time, and and it, when the little amount of time that's available right now is over, then it's it's not just go get lunch. It's go time. Go time. Yeah. Well, and so you've got to seize the situation. Yeah, and they have to see you as calm. And it, it's funny because. I've learned through this experience with TEDx Salt Lake City how people are looking for leadership. You know, yes. they just want somebody to lead them somewhere. Yes. And yes. even if you're BSing, if you sound like you know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. it's enough. And I've also learned that there are 10 different right answers for any given situation. And if we're caught up in deciding which of the 10 is the best one, we're wasting time and we're diminishing our own confidence. But if there's someone who will make a compelling enough case for one of those 10 answers that we can believe in it and chase after it, it doesn't even matter if it was the right one of the 10. It just matters that we can believe in it. Yeah. And it was, and it was delivered with the conviction that, that, that almost creates its own veracity. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of, you know, the, the baby is crying and we need something shiny to distract the baby. And nobody's like, Oh no, don't use car keys. We need a, a ball of foil. It's right. like, no, we got car keys. We'll go with that. And, right. and, and it's on the spot and you're able to, to do that. And you did that. Um, yeah, I, I was, that was going to lead me into my question, you know, with work and being a parent and friends and family, how has this intuition, you know, bled into those other parts of your life? Yeah. Um, The experiences I've had with some of these speakers and some of these performing artists as well have taught me how to deal with different people in the workplace. Like, oh, you remind me of this speaker. Mm -hmm. Maybe that means you're looking for this from me. 
um, because at TEDx Salt Lake City, it's quick relationships. It's a condensed timeline. You know, you get sure. to know somebody really well over three months and then you don't see them again other than social media or the random like reunion activity that we do. Um, yeah. So it's very different than my last job where I was for 27 years before I left it, where wow. I knew these people backward and forward. Um, and sometimes when you get too close, it's harder. But yeah. if I could attach them to, to one of these other personas, then it could be more of an effective relationship. So perhaps that. Um, really and truly, though, what I see is that my experience with TEDx Salt Lake City helped me. Um, I, I love helping other people, but I love also what it has taught me to do and who it's mm. taught me to become and how I can maybe chill out a little bit <laughs> and, and trust the group. Um, that was something I didn't do very well before TEDx Salt Lake City. I, mm. I probably veer toward perfectionism, maybe a little bit controlling, think that I always have the answer that my way is the right way. And at TEDx Salt Lake City, I'm kind of reinventing myself with these, this new group of people. And as I sit back and watch, I found that if I held my tongue long enough, somebody else would come up with the same thought that was going through my head. And I realized I don't have to be the only one keeping all these balls in the air because there is collective wisdom in this group of 30 beautiful humans who've come together to volunteer at something that no one's being compensated for monetarily. And right. it's, um, it's been a, a great growth experience in my faith in humanity to mm. see these people, to know that most people are wise, that most people are kind, and that I don't have to wrangle all of this because I trust all of these people. And that has bled into my leadership style at work as well, that I allow people to have their own ideas, express their own ideas, run with their own action plans, and don't try to fix everything all the time because right. what they come up with is even more beautiful than what I would have suggested. And that freedom to have the ability to be conscious that just in, in the most general sense that an idea isn't great just because I had it. Right. <laughs> it's true. I remember when I first had that thought as a, well, a younger person than I am now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm still laughing about it years later. Like, oh yeah, I guess, uh, Right. It's not a great idea just because I had it, turns out, amazingly. And it works for other people, too. But. <laughs> I'm curious what your, um, what your feeling, what your mindset is now after some years of experience in this beautiful work. As a speaker yourself, are, uh, I guess first thing is... Are you speaking with some regularity either in your career or in in your uh, just your, I guess I'd say, line of work that surely you're a person who is known as a gifted speaker after the experiences that you have had? What, what's it like now for you with all of this experience of seeing seeing someone nearly melting down on the side of the yeah. stage and pulling him back from the edge and sending him out to be amazing and brilliant and all of that, but you're still a speaker. Your presence here in this room, 
is powerful and, and palpable. And I'm curious what, what it's like for you now with, I'm sure being in a place that you never expected that you would get to because how, how would you know that it was possible that you could be so seasoned both as a, a performer, as a speaker, and also as a coach? What, how do you feel now? And do you love it more or, or where are you at with, with, yeah. the, with the performance aspect of, of great, speaking? Great question. So this experience has made me better for sure at speaking, I've learned new techniques and not only, um, I've learned them from the other speaking coaches for sure. Um, it's a whole speaker team. I'm not the only one on it. And in fact, Jessica Baines, the physical therapy as rehab, she joined our committee the next year and she is a speaking coach now as well. So, um, that's fantastic to watch the next generation of coaches. Yes. But, um, I've learned from them. And then also you've, we all know that the best way to learn something is to teach it, right? So in the military, I think there's like see one, do one, teach one. And so you're mm. supposed to see it, then you're supposed to do it, then you're supposed to teach somebody else how to do it. And that's how it cements in your mind. Makes and, sense. Um, that has helped a lot. So teaching these people these techniques, learning techniques from the other coaches, like the coaches are awesome, Jessica, Beth. Mickey, uh, Marsha, they're all fantastic coaches. And we've had Jennifer coached a year, Thad coached a, a year, and I've learned things from all of them. And then taking those pieces I learned from them, teaching them to other people, they became more solidified for me. And also I found that being in this experience has made me a better and more critical writer. I've always loved yeah. to write. Um, I was in college, I was on the school paper and that's about as far as it went was being on the college <laughs> newspaper, but I've always loved to write and this has made my writing so much better and I've done ghost writing since then. Oh really? I have. Yeah. Cause I have learned with some of these people, there are two performers whose names I won't mention because I don't want people to know that I ghost wrote for them, but I, they were struggling getting their thoughts and their idea down on paper. And so I said, well, let's just do an interview. I'm going to type every single thing that you say. So they're like, okay. So we type it all out. And then I just went through and I picked their words and rearranged them. And so it, it is still a collection their of their words. words. Mm. Um, but I was able to construct it in a way that was compelling. And one of them told me, this sounds more like me than anything I've ever written myself. <laughs> and I could have never done that before. And since then, I've gotten paid ghostwriting gigs because nice. I've developed a talent for being in somebody else's voice. Whereas in the past, I might have you know, thought my ideas were brilliant and right. I need to share my ideas in this piece or whatever. Ted is all about sharing this speaker's ideas, yeah. not mine, not infusing this with my perspective. And so being disciplined in that way taught me how to do it for other people. And I've had contracts to ghostwrite because of that. That's fascinating. Do you, it sounds like you enjoy the ghostwriting very much. I love ghostwriting. I Secretly love in a bookstore near you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, I, I've asked all my questions, I believe. Um, should we do bonus questions? Yes. All right. We, we probably answered this in a roundabout way, but what does creativity mean to you? 
Ooh. I don't think I'm going to have anything um, brilliant to say compared to the creative minds in this room. It, mm. It's just uh, solving a problem in a way that nobody did before you or solving a problem in my line of work. Everything is quick. You know, it's backstage. It's like right. trying to make the show go on. So how do you solve this problem quickly um, and in a way that's effective and you know, not being an artist myself, not having the visual creativity or the physical creativity, being a dancer or something like that. Everybody thinks of creativity in those ways, but I'm a problem solver. And so creativity to me is all about solving problems. Love it. This one's a lot funner. Who is your favorite Muppet and why? Ooh. Who's my favorite Muppet? That's a great question. This is Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock, anything Jim Henson yeah. puppet created. I kind of, I feel <laughs> bad that I can't remember his name, um, but in the new Muppet movie, you know the one that whistles? No. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Was it a new character for the movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, and he sings, am I a man or am I a Muppet? Oh. He's um, in that. I liked that little character. I thought he was the cute. Wa Wally? No. I can't remember his name. For a favorite Muppet, I should know his name. So maybe I should change my answer and say like Janice. Because Janice is super cool. She is. You know, she's just like <laughs> laid back and takes everything in stride. It's like the opposite of me. <laughs> and so I love her for it. And then lastly, in the movie of your life, who would you like to play you? Ooh. Man, I hope that you're going to cut out all these long, awkward pauses. Nope. I have never considered <laughs> this before. This is going up tomorrow, so very little editing. I mean, <laughs> I have no idea who would play me in a movie of my life. Um, I don't know enough actors' names, probably. I can't even think of a, I really love um, Reese Witherspoon and all of her kind of feist and like yeah. get it done-ishness. Um, physically, there is not a match whatsoever. Um, Evangeline Lilly. I would pick Evangeline oh, Lilly wow. because yeah. I am in love with her. Like I have the, a massive girl crush she on her. She is, she, I have not met her in person but she my, i think she came to salt lake for fanix she did really? yeah. the she autograph seems... was too expensive oh. <laughs> but i, I love she is a powerful presence i feel like yeah. and um outspoken and not afraid of opinions affecting her career like she is who she is she feels completely authentic to me I saw an interview with her when she was talking about breastfeeding on set and she just talks about it like she's talking about it and there are guys <laughs> in the room that you can tell her a little squirmy about it and she does not care does not she, back she it down does not matter she's just gonna do who she is which is really cool because it's okay guys it's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's Babies just, eat too. They do. They just do. That's how they get That's bigger. All it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like that. I like Evangeline Lilly for yeah. sure. 
as soon as you said it, I'm like, yep, that that's perfect. Very good. Yep. And she, I love her as uh, the Wasp in oh, she's great Batman movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a big Lost freak too. So that was one of the last episodic mm-hmm. uh, dramas that I watched in my life. Certainly on on television. I don't know if I've owned a television for ten years, but. I remember watching Lost, and she was always, she always had a luminous presence, yep. even if you know not makeup and all that stuff. It wasn't really in the storyline, but yeah. she was always commanded the screen. So absolutely, I'm excited for the development of the film. Oh, me too. And, and Hope and I get to meet her. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of have to. <laughs> well, she's going to be shadowing you, yeah. you know, to take notes. And to get your, you know, your mannerisms down because, you know, I mean, hey, if you don't, if you don't have that, people aren't going to buy the portrayal and they'll be like, man, Evangeline Lilly was tragically miscast. Luckily, (laughs) I've always thought if we met, we would obviously be best friends. Besties, Mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. Thanks for the work you do. Thank you for having me today and for your thoughtful questions and um, putting up with my long-winded responses about this passion of mine well thank you for handling terry's long-winded <laughs> yeah right right Compound questions <laughs> yeah. that's me still doing the, the same bit two long <laughs> questions <laughs> so if people want to check out um tedx salt lake where what's the socials and everything that they can find information on yeah so our website is ted tedxsaltlakecity.com and we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but we're not really active as TEDx Salt Lake City. And uh, actually we have giveaways. So this week we've got five pairs of tickets being given away wow. on our Instagram channel. So that will be for this Saturday's event. And anybody who wants to come see because it's invite only, this is your only chance is to get them through the giveaway. And, and that's, oh, wow. how we, that's how we got connected is she reached out to me yes. and invited me. And As I am the oh. host of the Creativity Podcast. Isn't that great? They needed some design people to attend and I, I qualified, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Yes. You qualified. Yes. Yeah. Verily so, my friend. And good thing for people to know who are listening, if they would ever want to give a talk at TEDx Salt Lake City in the future, we try to balance the program between technology, entertainment, design, and kind of social issues. We have the most applications for the social issues. The competition is very high. Um, We have the fewest for design. Technology is the second fewest. And then entertainment somewhere in the somewhere in the middle interesting technology is interesting because you know we're the silicon slopes so yeah we need to get more applicants from those areas for sure but design we've been super weak on the design front i mean really so this year for this vip event i invited you i found an architect on instagram or an yeah an architectural designer called the hunchback of temple square (laughs) <laughs> I, I invited him to attend um, any designer that I could find um, we really need to improve our pipeline there and get more yeah. designers on our stage some of the best TED talks from the main TED stage have been designers like the guy who designed the set for Hamilton and Pee Wee's Playhouse gave a oh, talk wow. once that's very interesting that was the same guy same guy wow mind blown that at the is, end of the podcast wow that is uh that is flexibility. That is, uh, yeah. Wow. 
set de- set design, you know? It's a whole Yeah, thing. sure. Yeah. I mean, when you say Pee Wee's Playhouse, it's like there that's an entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Not just the character or characters, but also that that environment. That's right. really cool. So the cool. The little city, the chairs, the door. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Anyway, we All right. this turned into a Pee Wee's Playhouse fan finishing <laughs> up. Podcast, yeah, finishing up with with Pee Wee. Not Let's really. say Hamilton. We Hamilton. Let's yeah, say Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> that's a that's a hipper reference. Yeah. It's yeah. a more <laughs> recent reference. So, right on. Well, thank you, Melanie. This was awesome. Thank you so much. We Dylan. appreciate thank all you, you do. Yes, our pleasure, Dylan. Thanks for calling me up and letting me come by and well, ramble questions anytime. What was your question again? I know. I know. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. See you guys. The podcast is done, man. Ah, ah, ah.